Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. So, back to Mattress Firm. Let's keep the ball rolling, shall we? Everyone knows how important stretching is before an event. So does Mattress Firm. Except it's your dollar. Your budget stretches further when you're shopping at America's neighborhood mattress store. It's a true home run, and you're going to have a ball. Mattress Firm, they're the head coaches when it comes to mattress expertise. But know this, they're more than mattress experts. They have a game plan that helps you transform your mattress into a bed. From adjustable bases and sheets to headboards and bedroom decor, they have you literally and figuratively covered up, just like your favorite cornerback. Go to mattressfirm.com slash podcast to see what deals are happening as I read this sentence to you. They even offer a 120-night sleep trial to ensure perfection and a 120-night low-price guarantee so you'll know you paid the perfect price. Talk about a one-two punch, a knockout. Score big with the perfect bed. Head to mattressfirm.com slash podcast to get the play-by-play on how you can monumentally improve your sleep today, tonight, and tomorrow. Hello, I'm Peter King. Welcome to the MMQB Podcast with Peter King, where I take you inside the minds of the biggest influencers in the NFL. This week, Chicago Bears coach Matt Nagy joins me in his first appearance on this podcast. And... I'll talk to the quarterback tutor for the Stars, Jordan Palmer, a one-time very lightly regarded NFL quarterback who's now made an industry for himself in teaching the top quarterbacks in football how to throw it. But first, let's talk about the top of the draft, and let's talk about where a couple of the pupils of Jordan Palmer could end up and also just what is happening at the top of this draft right now. So for those who are not fiercely uh, 24-7, 365 into pro football, a couple of points to make. Number one, there are four or five quarterbacks who will be picked in the top 20 of this draft coming up in about five weeks. And not only... Are there going to be that many who are going to get picked that high? But four of them could go one, two, three, four, or very, very high in this draft. So over the weekend, last weekend, the New York Jets and the Indianapolis Colts made a 
what I consider to be a, a monumental trade and put the New York Jets in position to get one of those quarterbacks for their long-term future. I don't know who it's going to be, but I think it's exceedingly possible that with the Buffalo Bills having gathered all sorts of draft capital in the last year, going back to the draft last year, and with the Bills obviously virtually certain to take a quarterback in the first round, the Bills definitely could trade into the top five for one of the quarterbacks in this draft. So I think the way we're looking now is, if I were to pick it right now, uh, the Cleveland Browns picking one, almost certain to take a quarterback there. The New York Giants picking two could take a quarterback. I would if I were uh, Giants general manager Dave Gettleman. And number three, the Jets now certainly are going to take a quarterback there. The number four pick in the first round belongs to the Cleveland Browns. And I think all Browns fans are sick of the Browns every year trading back and getting more draft choices. You know, a bunch of Browns fans, I'm sure, say, hey, yeah, let's get more picks. Well, every time they trade back, their recent history, with the exception of the, of trading back and, and getting Jabril Peppers, the safety from Michigan, almost every one of those trade backs has not yielded, uh, you know, great player or players. So... I think John Dorsey, the general manager of the Browns, is going to be tempted to sit there and try to take a potential star player. And he could have his choice of any non-quarterback in this draft. Imagine if you're sitting there and you have the choice to trade down for a ransom, let's say with Buffalo, or to sit there at number four and take pick a, a, a player, Saquon Barkley, the running back from Penn State. Or, you know, Martin, the guard from Notre Dame, Chubb, the pass rusher uh, from North Carolina. He, he could do a lot of different things at number four just by sitting there. I believe the temptation is going to be too great. And I believe either with uh, Denver at number five or uh, with the Buffalo Bills trading up to that number four spot from number 12, I believe the Browns are probably going to end up trading that pick. And how amazing would it be if the top four choices in this draft are in some order, USC quarterback Sam Darnold, UCLA quarterback Josh Rosen, Oklahoma quarterback Baker Mayfield, and Josh Rosen, I'm sorry, Josh Allen, uh, the quarterback from Wyoming. So to me... We are still in position in the next five weeks before the late April draft. We're still in position to have a lot of news made. And, and I was saying to somebody the other day, this is, in my opinion, the most interesting uh, offseason in my memory, not only because there have been so many trades in it. Uh, there have been to a total of 19 trades as I speak so far in the month of March. That's a lot of trades for March in the NFL. You might normally see three or four. You've got a bunch of very, very young and aggressive general managers who are not really bound by the history of, uh, of what their predecessors have done. 
So I think that's part of it. But I also think part of it is the absolute desperation to get into position to either sign your quarterback of the future in free agency, as Minnesota did with Kirk Cousins, or to get in position in this draft to take a quarterback. I had somebody uh, in the NFL say, man, the Jets trading up to number three. This could be their biggest you know, decision that they've made as a franchise in the last 50 years. And remember, 50 years ago was the season that the Jets, with Joe Namath, um, shocked the world and as 16-point underdogs won the Super Bowl, Super Bowl three over the Baltimore Colts. So, and again, look, I'm not going to be that dramatic, but this is a huge, huge draft choice for the New York Jets. And I guess the only thing I would say in closing is that this right now is still a very, very fluid top of the draft. And it's one of the reasons why so often people in the NFL are so happy that with the draft, with free agency, with the combine, they have owned the offseason this year, uh, even ahead of baseball, even close to basketball, certainly over hockey. So this is still going to be over the next five weeks. Very fluid, very fun, and very dynamic. Watch for the top of the first round to get shaken up at least once more with the Buffalo Bills moving into the top of the draft. And now my conversation with Chicago Bears coach Matt Nagy. Back on the MMQB podcast with Peter King, I'm joined by Matt Nagy, the new head coach of the Chicago Bears. And Matt, uh, I appreciate you joining me. We're recording this at the Scouting Combine, and I just wonder, you know, you've now had this gig for nearly two months, but do you ever wake up in the morning and look at the ceiling and say, holy crap, I'm the coach of the Chicago Bears? You know what? I You do. You do. And, and it's funny just coming from uh, our, our, our suite upstairs here watching, watching the combine. It, it takes you back every now and then to when I was down on the field, you know, helping run drills and, and uh, doing the little things for, for Coach Reed throughout my, my growth in this coaching world. And so it's kind of funny to think here I am, you know, in, in this suite now as the head coach. And, uh, but there's, there's been a lot of hard work and a lot of great people throughout the way that have helped me get here. So, Matt, people should know, and I wrote about this recently in my column, but people should know your story is one of the most really, I would say, incredible stories I've ever heard about becoming a coach in the NFL. Seven years ago, you were selling model homes in Anvil, Pennsylvania, and you basically told me that you thought that there was a good chance you were just going to have that life and be a high school football coach, which would have been fine but it probably wouldn't have been your real passion. So take me into that world. Yeah, so for me, football's always been a part of my life. It's always been a special place in my heart, and and uh, I always knew I wanted to be a coach. I felt like for whatever reason that that was kind of a niche that I had, and I always enjoyed playing the game, but once I was done and the game was was I was done as a player, coaching was what I wanted to do. Now, high school coaching was really the path I was going to take, and that's where – uh, Brett Veach and Coach Reed come into my life and, and giving me an opportunity. Brett Veach, the current 
general manager of the Kansas City Chiefs, but at the time he was with the Philadelphia Eagles and Andy Reid was the coach. That's right. Yeah, and that, that was the opportunity that, that I had and, and just giving me a chance to get in. And matter of fact, it came in as just, you know, hey, get in there, let, get around Coach Reid and see – let him see who you are as a person and, and how you work and how you do things. And, and then uh, before you know it, the next year comes by and, and, and then it's another year. And now I'm, I was full-time in 2010 with Coach Reed, and here we are, uh, head coach of the Bears. And so it's been a, a fast track, but I've learned a lot, and, and uh, I'm very fortunate. When you were actually doing the house sales stuff, would you say you were miserable or were you just not happy? I was not happy. I wasn't miserable. I, I uh, you know, I was in the middle of starting my family. And uh, so obviously at that time, you want to be able to support your family as much as you can. I just got done playing in the arena league as a player. And so there's that transition of, okay, what's life after football? And uh, I, I grew up in a, in a small town in Mannheim, Pennsylvania, in Lancaster County, uh, Pennsylvania, and it was Friday Night Lights. And so I was okay with coaching high school football for the rest of my life and, and, uh, and just kind of staying away from all the spotlight and, and, and coaching young kids. But once presented with the opportunity from Coach Reed to get into the NFL and, and know that there really wasn't much recruiting going on versus the college life, uh, I was good with that. So you basically climbed the ladder, went with Andy Reid uh, to Kansas City, and you and Andy Reid and Doug Peterson were together. You know, Andy is the head coach, Doug Peterson, and you on the offensive staff. And what was it about that staff? Because when I asked Doug Peterson about this recently, he said, you know, it was really kind of an incubator for offensive football. You know, all ideas were welcome, and that's one of the things he took to the Philadelphia Eagles. Tell me what happened to you in Kansas City on that staff. So, really, that's true. You know, it's the one thing that's so special about Coach Reed is that he has the ability to, to – keep the ego out of the play, out of play and just listen to ideas and thoughts that people have. And, and so that's one of the things that I'm going to take as a head coach is, you know, surround yourself with, with, with quality people that do things the right way and that are able to, to really uh, use their ideas to help strengthen your weaknesses that you may have. And so coach obviously is a brilliant play caller. He's a creative mind. And, and so he really involves all the coaches and their ideas and thoughts into processing on how we want to make a play work. So uh, I've, I've taken to that, and that's something I'm going to use. The modern part of this game that I find so fascinating is that – so I, I've known Doug Peterson a little bit over the years, but I really got to know him down the stretch of this season and in the playoffs. And I'll tell you what really interested me about him is that – during the preparation to play the biggest games he's ever going to coach or, or among them, he basically had a mandate with his staff, with Frank Reich, with everybody on his offensive staff. And it was that he wanted new things. He wanted new ideas. He wanted things they hadn't done before. They go in and play the New England Patriots in the Super Bowl. The play that they throw the winning touchdown pass to Zach Ertz on was an invented play during Super Bowl week. Hmm. It wasn't in the original game plan. The original game plan had 195 plays in it, 
and they ended up subbing out 12 plays for 12 new plays, among them the play they used for Zach Ertz. And one of the reasons that they used it, Matt, is that New England would never have seen them run this motion the way they ran it. They never would have seen this particular play they ran and they also saw that New England during the course of the year had had some trouble with one by four receiver formations. And so, and they never ran this at all in the playoffs. They never ran it. They practiced this play twice. And so they ran this play and they scored the winning touchdown in the Super Bowl with a play that they had never run in a game before. And so I've asked some coaches around the league about what they think of that and how much true originality is there. And I'm getting sort of different answers that maybe eight or ten staffs might do it that way, might be willing to say right at the end of a, of a, of a game week, okay, we're still adding to the game plan. But I tell you that story, and what do you think, and do you believe in that sort of style of you know new plays every week new things every week i i do i do so to answer your 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 uh, your question i absolutely believe in that and one of the reasons i i believe in that is that's an unscouted look that the patriots had zero chance to be able to dig back into research and however many games they want to go back and look into they're never going to find that play so they're good at what they do in in, in self-scout being the patriots and most nfl teams are when you have a play that you feel comfortable with that you know that they have not scouted, that's advantage offense. And any defensive coordinator will tell you that. Um, but the other part of this is that I, I, I give Doug such a ton of credit in, into the trust that he gives his players, that he has in his players, because of running a new play at such a crucial part of the game for the first time. We run play when, – whenever you get in trouble on offense, the human nature is to – it's because you're doing too much. So you always pull back and you, you go with the common theory of less is more. We all do it. Uh, defenses do it as well. They're doing too many blitzes. They're getting beat. Let's just go back to what we know so our players can play fast. Well, in this case, for Doug to be able to pull out a play that they've never seen in such a crucial situation, trust his players to make the play on a play that the Patriots have never seen just speaks volumes of where Doug was at with the belief in not only his, his players but his coaching staff, and that's powerful. And in the end, to get the victory and to, to come, just like you said, with Doug's path getting into the NFL and now you know, a couple years into it to be a Super Bowl champion as a head coach and what he's done is just super special. One of the reasons why I think your path is so interesting is that you know, I think there's something to be said for – uh, a new look, a new approach. And it's nothing to say that if you've coached in the NFL for 25 years, you can't be great. I mean, look at Bill Belichick, obviously. Sure. But I do think that there's something to be said for people like you, for people like Doug Peterson, having learned under Andy Reid, who's, you know, he, so many different fun things with Tyreek Hill hmm. in 2017. Alex Smith is a new quarterback in 2017. Right, right. And so I just – I like people who can reinvent themselves on the fly. You know, for me, being able to learn through Coach Reed and understand that part of the game and understand that, hey, 
listen, everyone labels it the West Coast offense. But if every Monday and Tuesday when, when, when I would sit in Coach Reed's office and, and just come into his room and see these, we call it the beautiful mind. You see these different color, green, uh, red, blue, and black uh, formations and plays that are up there from, from, from whether it's another team or it's a concept that he thought of on his own or ideas from other coaching staffs, other coaches on the staff, it's up there. And then we kind of talk it through and say, okay, why is this play going to work? And so, you know, one, one thing that that does is, number one, it, it keeps it fun it keeps it loose and it keeps it fun for your players in practice and in the game. And it's unconventional. And so it kind of goes back to the unscouted look that you're talking about. It's We call them orange bags. It's easy if you're just going to line up in a pro formation, two backs, one tight end, and two wide receivers. And, and the defense knows, okay, this is like batting practice to them. They can do that in their sleep. So why not change it up a little bit, give them some unconventional looks, and, and do some things that are a little bit out of the box that makes the defense feel uncomfortable to me, that's advantage offense. And when you do that, not only is that advantage offense, but you're also spicing it up for the players who you can feel it in practice, Peter. In, in practice, these guys are out there dancing, they're having fun. And when you install this play uh, on Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and you put the play up on the board and they, they've never seen it before, the amount of attention that is redirected to that to that board because it's such a new play and a different play. They look forward to going out to practice to practice that play. You know, I want to ask you about one play in the Chiefs season that I thought was really interesting and how, where it came from and whether Bears fans might actually see this or maybe see a tributary of it. Your first game of the season, you played New England. You got a rookie running back, Kareem Hunt. And you send Kareem Hunt on what appears to be just a normal wheel route. Mm-hmm. and he's going to come out of the backfield on the right-hand side and come up the field, and you think Alex Smith is going to deliver the ball to him at you know either at the line of scrimmage or maybe a yard or two beyond, gain of eight. Okay, He keeps running, and he runs up the seam, and he's running a post, and Alex Smith throws the ball downfield. It's a 70-plus yard mm-hmm. touchdown pass. And, I mean, I just thought to myself, you don't see running backs do that. I wonder, where did that come from? So really, you know, the origin of that concept was something that we put a lot of time and effort into in the offseason. And so you go ahead, and again, I'll go back to the, the credit I give Coach Reed for being to be out, for looking out of the box for new concepts. And, and that was a concept that we found that we wanted to fit into our offense, which is scat release in the back and getting him in a, in a mismatch versus a linebacker and or defensive end downfield. And it just so happened to be on a play where, where they rushed three guys, so there was a little extra time for the quarterback. But that was a, that was a plan that they had. We understood that going into it. And so, uh, you know, you never know if you're going to catch them in that defense. We, we happened to, to get that defense for that play. And uh, Alex went through his progressions. We got a matchup that we liked, which is what we like to work through, our matchups. And then, and then the players made, made the play happen. Inevitably, in the end, they made the play. Let's talk about the Chicago Bears. So – I want to know, I'm always curious when a coach goes somewhere where there is an existing quarterback and the quarterback is, you know, it's not like, you know, this guy might be the quarterback. You inherit Mitchell Trubisky. And I mean, I'm not saying for the next 10 years if it doesn't work, but you inherit Mitchell Trubisky. So take me into your meetings with Ryan Pace 
before you got this job. Is there much discussion? Does Ryan Pace say to you, what do you think of Trubisky? And what is your discussion like with Trubisky? And did you watch tape on Trubisky beforehand? So, so uh, we absolutely talked about that in the interview process. Uh, we didn't live in that world, but we talked about it. And he wanted my opinion. If, if I was somebody coming into this position that didn't have belief in Mitchell Trubisky, that's not a fit. Then I'm not the right guy. The fortunate thing for me was last year as a Kansas City Chief, we, we went through the process of really breaking down the quarterback world. And we looked at six guys, and Mitchell was one of those guys that we extensively looked at and came away really liking. And so uh, to, to, to follow back, I didn't get a chance this year because of the season going into it uh, to, to watch Mitchell play going into my interview process. But I would, I would get – you know, I, I like to follow uh, Patrick and, and Mitchell and Deshaun Watson and the guys that were in that class just to see where they're at and what they're doing. And so I got to see some glimpses of what he was doing, but I didn't know the specifics. But what I did know is that who he is as a person and his style of play fit our offense and what we are looking to do perfect. So what is – describe your style of offense. Well, it's we're, – we're, we're in the shotgun a lot. And so there, there's a lot of every, – you know, everyone's saying it now, the RPOs, the run-pass options, um, putting stress on a defense horizontally, uh, making them challenge – they got to challenge – uh, people, we're going to challenge people vertically down the field as well. So when you start matching that stuff together, then you put the, the ability of a quarterback to use his legs. So you, you have somebody that's unblocked. They need to make a decision. They make their decision. It's the wrong decision. And now you have a guy with the ball in his hands that can make you pay with his feet. And Mitchell can do that, very similar to Alex Smith. You know? Now on top of that as well is he's a guy who, who uh, when we got him up on the board last year in the offseason during this time, uh, boy, he was he was powerful with how good he was on the board. He 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 was football smart, and he understood defenses. He understood what his role was. He understood footwork in the pocket. He understood throwing lanes. And so I knew that going into this. And once this became real, and I had the opportunity to interview with the Chicago Bears, and the interview went well. Um, and and Ryan asked me, "What do I think of Mitchell?" Yeah, that was a it was a home run, and it was fun and. That's why I cannot wait to get to April 3rd and, and have that first day with these guys, with the staff, and, and really get rolling here. And, and, and really, again, as a team, offensive, defense, special teams. So if I'm a Bears fan and I want to know the style of football that Ryan Pace is going to play on, on Ryan Pace, that, that Matt Nagy is going to yeah. play on both sides of the ball, both on offense and defense. What am I going to see when I come to Soldier Field this fall? Yeah, so we'll start out on defense. So on, on defense, I think one of the things that is so powerful is, and you think back to the, the, the old Baltimore Ravens and the Pittsburgh Steelers, it's a physical game. And so anytime you played the, the, the Baltimore Ravens and Pittsburgh Steelers, win, lose, or draw, you came out of that game beat up because it was hard to play. And you had to fight for every point that you got on offense. And, and that's what we want to look to bring. You know, Vic Fangio has done a hell of a job at, at doing at, at scheme-wise and, and player-wise and just fit-wise with our defense of create, uh, preventing offenses from scoring. And so to have a guy like Coach Fangio on the other side of the ball with all that experience – I can just sit there and just let him do what he wants to do, oversee it, give him advice in, in any way that I can help him, and but understand the mentality that he's going to bring and his experience. And and not not to not to mention the fact that uh, they just keep the ball rolling from the previous years that he's been here. 
Um, What's interesting about that is it sort of reminds me a little bit of Sean McVay going to the Rams and working with a guy he didn't really know or hadn't worked with before. The difference here is that he's the incumbent and he knows every player on the Chicago Bears. That's exactly right. He knows them all. And one of the first discussions that we had was, number one, could we get along person to person? Was that going to fit? And the second I knew he was from Pennsylvania, we're both from the same area in Pennsylvania, we knew that was easy. So uh, You both uh, know what shoe fly pie is. Yeah, we know the shoe, <laughs> the shoe fly pie. That's right. Absolutely. Um, but that was easy. What he's done as a defense coordinator speaks for itself. So that, that part was easy. That was, that was fun. Kept the guys on, on staff, and, and we're rolling. Special teams-wise with Chris Tabor and getting Brock Olivo in here. Again, Chris is a guy who has a lot of experience, a guy who's been under Dave Tobe with me in, in Kansas City. Um, so that, that was great. And, and, again, those numbers speak for itself. Offensively uh, for us, again, I keep going back to the word fun and creativity. And that's my personality. The people and the rest of our coaching staff that we brought together and we put together are those type of personalities. You bring in a guy like Mark Helfrich at Oregon and some of the ideas that he's going to have and thoughts. It's, it's only going to make me better as a head coach, uh, me better as a play caller. Harry Heaston coming in here from college from Notre Harry Dame. Harry Heaston was a really interesting hire because everybody sort of thought he's a Notre Dame lifer, mm-hmm. that he's never leaving the Dome. So how did that happen? So there was uh, some referrals from other people that I have high opinions of that, that recommended me to him. I, had, I did not know Harry other than, again, he's a PA guy uh, from, from a similar area uh, and an East Stroudsburg guy in Division II Pennsylvania in, in, in college football. And, and so we had that little connection and tie there. But, again, who was he as a person? So as we started talking, what's our philosophies? Do we believe in the same thing? And it started out with good people and, and – then I started finding out and listening to him as to how great of a teacher he is. And you get these guys, these college coaches that understand how to teach and reach these kids. And he was in Chicago, Harry, Harry was in Chicago before. He understood the area. He knows the pro dynamic. So to come back in here this second time, man, that's awesome. And, and again, for somebody like me to learn from a guy like him and how he does things and how he teaches his players – uh, that's making me better. That's making us better, and that's what we need. And so you tie all that together with the rest of the great coaches that we have, and you take the players and, and you kind of f- see how they are. And, and things will change as we go because there's a lot of guys that I don't know yet on, on offense, and I'll get to see. But th- what, what I told Ryan in the interview process is we want to be able to dictate to the defense as to how this is going to go. So w- with some of the things that we've done in Kansas City, and there's going to be, as going back to the start of this conversation, there's going to be some unscattered looks that people see, you know. But that goes back to why we do what we do. That's fun. That's uh, that's the intriguing part to where, you know, you can you can. And and as Coach Reed always says, I you know now I have 51 percent. So if there's a play I like <laughs> and I want to do it, I got 51 percent now. I'm no longer on the 49 percent roll. <laughs> this is the MMQB podcast. Support for the MMQB with Peter King comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. They understand that home plays a big role in your life and family. That's why they created Rocket Mortgage. Rocket Mortgage gives you the confidence you need when it comes to buying a home or refinancing your existing home loan. It's simple. 
allowing you to fully understand all the details and be confident you're getting the right mortgage for you. Whether you're looking to buy your first home or your 10th, with Rocket Mortgage, you can get a transparent online process that gives you the confidence to make an informed decision. It's convenient. Our trusted partners allow you to share your financial information with Rocket Mortgage at the touch of a button. And in addition to getting a real mortgage approval in minutes, you can even adjust the rate and length of your loan in real time to make sure you're getting the right solution for you. Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Apply simply, understand fully, mortgage confidently. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com king. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org, number 3030. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. And now, more with Matt Nagy. So, two more things. One, I wonder, I assume you watch the Super Bowl. Yes. So it's the end of the toward the end of the first half. There's 38 seconds to go, fourth and one, down near the goal line for the uh, for the Chiefs, and you see them run this play, uh, this this uh, you know reverse to the tight end, mm-hmm. and Trey Burton throws the touchdown pass to Nick Foles, and my immediate thought was after holy crap, my immediate thought was, I'll tell you one thing. If that doesn't work, this guy, Doug Peterson, is going to roast. Philadelphia will kill him if they lose the game, you know, 30 to 28 or, or whatever. But, but so my, my biggest question is, do you think that people see some of the things that, that Doug Peterson did this year and that you guys did in Kansas City and some other teams have done – and will offensive football get a little bit more, you know, dive off the cliff? Will they take a little bit more chances, or is this just is this just, was this just a game? Were they just a team? Is there any trend coming? Do you believe? I don't think I'll see a trend. I don't think we'll see a trend coming with that. I think that's the DNA of the head coach, the DNA of the team. And I give Doug a lot of credit. 
he stuck to his guns this whole entire season. And any games that I ever caught on TV this year, uh, there's a common theme. Doug was going for it. And he had success with it. And also, if they didn't get it, he ne- that, then they didn't get it. You know, there was – and one thing that Doug did is and, – and talking to him a few days ago is, you know, he, he was just himself. And he wasn't going to fool anybody. He, 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 you know, he was going to talk to the team, and this is who, who I am. This is what we're going to do as a team. This is my belief. This is what I want us to be. He put his stamp on the identity of that offense and what they were going to do. They, be, they believed in him. He believed in them. And when it works, it's great. It, it's, it really is. And so the difference is it's, on the, it's in the Super Bowl in front of a lot of people. And to be able to make that call, when you're sitting at home watching that call on TV – and you're and you're saying to yourself, man, this is this is crazy. You, you can only imagine what that's like being on the sideline in the Super Bowl making that call. But he, again, he he trusted his players. He made the call. It worked, and he stayed aggressive the entire time. And you have to do that against the New England Patriots and Tom Brady. You have to do it. You just made me think of something. You studied Pat Mahomes so much last year, and the Chiefs obviously are trading Alex Smith at the start of the league year. And Andy Reid told me a couple of weeks ago that Pat Mahomes should buy Alex Smith a mansion hmm. for everything he taught him um, this year in football. So if you're a Chiefs fan listening to this right now, what should Chiefs fans think of having Pat Mahomes as their quarterback? Well, first of all, Coach is exactly right. And, and, and Patrick won't understand – the value of being able to sit for a year behind Alex Smith until his career is done. And so to, to kind of just say one thing here real quick in regards to how that developed, it, it was an interesting dynamic where when Alex came in after the draft, the, the, the respect factor between him and, and Patrick wasn't even close on both sides to where it ended up at the very end. And that was, to me, as a, as a, now as a head coach, is something to, to learn from. Is that, and that goes back to the original question of how much will, will, will Patrick learn or understand in the end how valuable this one year was for I him. I can't imagine so, it was very comfortable for Alex Smith right away. Not right away. It, it wasn't, and that's okay. And I don't think it was comfortable for Patrick either. But when you start and you build that relationship, and by the playoff game, against the Tennessee Titans leading up that week, when you have Alex Smith now asking Patrick Mahomes during the week what he thinks of this player, what he thinks of that play, that's powerful. Mm. And so not only from Patrick's side of it, but that speaks volumes for how that relationship was built and the respect that both of those guys had for each other. And for me to witness that and see that on a daily basis for one full season will will carry for the rest of my coaching career. And so there's dynamics there. But all of that said – they're in great hands with Patrick. He's a kid that works hard. He's a kid that uh, that that understands that he, the the game doesn't get too big for him. He grew up in a in a in a family where his dad was a major league baseball player, so he understands those dynamics. Uh, he has confidence. He's not overconfident, um, and he's got a lot of talent. So they're they're in good hands. And and on top of that, he's surrounded by really great people and coaches. And so when you have uh, Coach Reed, Brett Veach. Mike Kafka, Eric Bieniemy, and that crew there—that's there. He's in great hands. He's got great teammates around him, and and, and Tyreek Hill, and and Kelsey, and Hunt, and the rest of the boys. He's in good hands, but he's got to just take it one day at a time and understand it, that it's not going to happen overnight. 
Last thing for you. So I remember a few years ago, uh, maybe 10, 12 years ago, I was in Chicago covering a playoff game. Um, Lovey Smith was the coach of the team. I was in his office at Hallis Hall, and I said to him, you know, I wonder sometimes how you feel when you know that you're, the office isn't exactly the same, but basically you're sitting in the office that George Hallis sat in, that Mike Ditka sat in, that Hall of Fame players and people uh, played here and made this one of the most storied franchise in all of professional sports. What is it like? And he said to me, you know, just thinking about that, I've got goosebumps right now. So I wonder, the path you have taken, what's it going to be like for you to step out on the field at Soldier Field, where so many legends have coached and played, and I guess to be standing there for the national anthem before your first game? What's that going to be like? What's it, what's it going to feel like? Yeah, it's absolutely surreal. And it's funny you asked that question. Just I, I was thinking about that the other day of just kind of – uh, selfishly thinking of my journey and just how fast things have come and the support that I've had and just thinking of, okay, we're in the trenches right now. We're in the trees of the combine and the free agency and building a staff and understanding the dynamics of a, of a, of a, of Hallis Hall and, and who works into that in, in the building. And, but before you know it, come April 3rd, the players are going to be in the building and that's pro that, that's step number one. But as I kind of fast forward a little bit, I started thinking of that. And what's that going to be like to, to step on to Soldier Field and just ha have the national anthem play and it, it just have everything come full circle. And, and not for me, but just for, for everybody that's been a part of, of my story. Uh, and, and we all have our stories, but it'll be an emotional time for me. And, and there's, there's, uh, there's been a lot of ups and downs, but I'll tell you, it's, it's, uh, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Uh, to, to be at this point in my life right now and to be a head coach of the Chicago Bears, uh, 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 you know, just uh, uh, the tradition and the history and just the organization and just the, the – the, it goes on and on and on. And, and so um, it'll be a day that I never forget. I'm looking forward to it, and I know it's not really not that far away. Matt Nagy, I really appreciate you joining me on the podcast. And by the way, people – out there in the world are going to have to learn how to pronounce your name. <laughs> it's not Matt Nagy. It's not Matt Nagy. It's Matt Nagy. <laughs> and that's correct, that, right? Yep, you're good. That, that, you're correct. Good. You're correct. Good. Yep. Thanks for having me, Peter. I appreciate oh. it. You're listening to the MMQB Podcast. Do you know that 66% of men lose their hair by the time they're 35? The problem is, by the time you notice you're losing your hair... It's too late. Of course, you know it's easier to keep the hair you have than to replace the hair you've lost. Have you been checking yourself out in the mirror? Is that hairline slowly starting to move back? Any bald spots yet? Look, let's be honest. And when I ask you, do you want your hairline to recede or do you want to do something about it first? Why do guys always turn to weird solutions or do absolutely nothing? when they can turn to medicine and science. Well, now there's ForHims.com, a one-stop shop for hair loss, skin care, sexual wellness, all for men. Thanks to science, baldness can be optional. Hims connects you with real doctors and medical-grade solutions to treat hair loss. 
Hims can provide well-known generic equivalents to name-brand prescriptions to help you keep your hair. No snake oils or crazy solutions. And more importantly, no waiting rooms, no awkward doctor visits. Save hours by going to 4hims.com. That's 4hims.com. It's so easy. Answer a few quick questions, and their doctors will review and prescribe you products which are then shipped directly to your door. So order now. My listeners get a trial month of hymns for just $5 today, right now, while supplies last. See the website for full details. This would cost hundreds if you went to the doctor or to a pharmacy. Go to 4hymns.com slash MMQB. That's F O R. H-I-M-S dot com slash M-M-Q-B. Forhims.com slash M-M-Q-B. You'll be glad you did. And now my conversation with quarterback guru Jordan Palmer. Back on the M-M-Q-B podcast with Peter King. Uh, happy to be joined by Jordan Palmer, uh, who you know, has many titles, but but let's just run them down. Jordan Palmer was uh, a well-traveled backup quarterback in the NFL uh, for several teams. And now at age 33, he's got a really interesting business going. He basically trains uh, young quarterbacks, both at the high school and college level. And then uh, when they leave college to prepare to play pro football. Uh, this year, he's trained three quarterbacks who were draft hopefuls, Sam Darnold, Josh Allen, and Kyle Allen. And in particular, you've got two guys, Jordan, who look like they're going to go in the top five, uh, obviously Sam Darnold and Josh Allen. So uh, now at the age of 33, you're like onto your next life. And I guess I would I would start by asking, how did this all start? where you got uh, the idea in your head that, you know, uh, maybe my NFL career didn't go as I hoped. Uh, you know, I didn't play in three Super Bowls. But but I think I have a lot to add and a lot to teach young quarterbacks. Yeah, I mean, I, I think at an early age, you got to remember, I, I, backed, I was behind my brother five years younger who was, the number one everything all the time. Top Car- recruit in the country. Carson Heisman, Carson Palmer pick. you're referring to. Yeah, I'm yep. not referring to my other brother, Robert Palmer. <laughs> um, but, uh, no, I grew up with Carson, so there was a huge discrepancy in, in, in talent and ability, and, and I never fought it. I never complained about it. I was never jealous or envious. Lucky, I, I, if you guys have heard of Elite 11, been around, yeah. we're going into our 20th year right now. Um, my dad read about that in student sports magazine when I was in seventh grade and he dropped me off and I filled up water cups and shag balls. And I'm the only person who's been to all 20 of them. And at a young age, elite I, 11 I describe for, for people who don't know it, describe what elite 11 is. Yeah. It's American idol for high school quarterbacks. We see about a thousand quarterbacks a year. It's Nike's number one grassroots initiative. It's a big deal. And, uh, we whittle it down to the top 11 quarterbacks in the country, but I think nine of the last 12 Heisman's, 10 of the last 13 number one picks, I think. Uh, I saw a stat, I think it was about 80% of the NFL quarterbacks last year in the NFL were part of Elite 11. So it, it's a legacy deal. Um, 
but, uh, but, you know, I started doing that when I was a kid and I fell in love with the development side and it's very easy for me after my NFL career to say, well, no, it actually went the way that I would better than I ever thought it would, but that's the truth. And people who know me know that, but I developed great reputation and great relationships in the space. And I figured out a way every NFL team I was on to bring value. So when I was playing in the NFL Monday, you know, each night I would be in the lobby and I'd be open for two and a half hours. Anybody in the offense could come ask me questions. And every night there'd be a room full of people. And when I was playing in college, I ran camps and I went to the elite 11s and I was a counselor. And when I was a college counselor at the elite 11, the high school kids were uh, Tebow, Luck, Freeman, Stafford, Tebow, uh, I mean, Sanchez. I mean, it was really cool. So I, I really been around all of them. And, uh, and so when I got to, the, to college in the NFL, I, I just in college, I ran camps in El Paso, Texas. Three camps, coach kids. You went to you. You went to Texas El Paso. I had one offer coming out of high school. I went to the only school that would take me, and uh, and I went to UTEP. I ran camps, and but when the light bulb went off, was uh, I was backing up uh, Josh McCown and Jay Cutler in Chicago. I was speaking at the rookie symposium, and I was talking to these rookie quarterbacks, and I was asking them questions, all omit names, and I couldn't believe how little they knew. Like, what have you guys been doing for the last two and a half months? And uh, I said, man, next year I'm going to train guys for the draft. So I called up a great facility, Exos, said, hey, I'd love to train you guys for the draft. Is Exos uh, in Arizona? Uh, there's a handful of them. Yeah, uh, they okay. had just opened a new facility in Carlsbad, California, which is not far from where I live. So I said, yeah, I'll train your quarterbacks, you know, pay me a little cash and let me train here in the offseason. Again, I was still playing. And um, one of the guys that came through the door was Blake Bortles. One, I never met him, wanted to interview me. I told him, look, I don't really know what everybody else does, but – I think you just need to get ready to play. Forget the combine. These guys will run you through your stuff. I just like, teach you all the stuff you're going to have to learn as a rookie. And it went really well. And I fell in love with it. And uh, now it's my favorite three months of the year. And, um, you know, I already kind of have next year's guys, you know, penciled in. And uh, I'm agent agnostic. I'll work with anybody. I don't care. Uh, Ryan Flaherty's, you know, the best trainer in the world. Uh, he's trained, you know, the last, I think, 10 or 11 number one picks. And, all the top athletes in the world. And so we run a little program in Dana Point, California, my hometown. I run a beach house, bring in a chef. Uh, Lululemon is my partner. So we do all the apparel and all the, all the yoga and everything. Bring in sports psychologist Trevor Moad and really just build a team, uh, work with the players and really try and develop them, not just mechanically, not just mentally, but also who they're going to need to be as a person. You know, how they're going to treat people, how they're going to learn, how they're going to work, philanthropy, really try and get them ready to be pros at a young age. Uh, for kids or their parents who are listening to this and want to know more, you can go to qbsummit.com um, and uh, you can read and see that I believe you have three camps coming up for high school kids this year, right, Jordan? Yeah, which my favorite thing to do is I love helping kids transition. And so the three big transitions is becoming a starting quarterback in high school, whether that's for your senior year, or, you know, I've been with this kid named JT Daniels, who's uh, just won Gatorade Player of the Year. I met him in seventh grade. He started at Modern Day High School as a, as a freshman in high school on varsity. And then he just skipped his senior year. He'll be competing for the starting job at USC as a true freshman. Even him starting as a freshman on varsity. I love that early transition. Now, period. wait a minute. Wait a minute. Uh, wait a minute. Is JT Daniels, you just said, skipping his senior year? Yeah, this is actually news in the high school space. He, he, he's foregoing his senior year of high school. He's. Uh, I've never heard of that in my life. How can you do that? 
Well, he was on pace to be valedictorian, so he had taken all of his tough classes. He's taking two semesters right now, this semester, one online and one in class. And uh, he's going to have a chance to be one of the best players in the country, I think, next year as a true freshman in college. I mean, uh, and how old is he, 17? I believe he's 17, yeah. I mean, so, he could uh, be the starting quarterback at USC as a 17- or 18-year-old. That's amazing. Yeah, you heard it here first. Yeah. So so that transition period, becoming a starter in high school, I love that. I love the transition from high school to college. And uh, Elite 11 really helps with that. And um, and my camps really help with that. And then the draft. You know, it's just – the thing about the draft is, let's say that Sam Darnold started playing in sixth grade, and he's going to play 15 years. Let's just make it easy numbers. There's really only one time period in his entire career where for three months he's going to have no teammates he has to worry about, no school, no marketing. His friends aren't going to bug him to go out. His family's not going to pester him. Where all he's going to do is worry about personal development for three months. So I always feel like that time period is a time when a kid can get 20% better. If you have the right content and he's in the right frame of mind. And my guys I've known for a while, so they're always, they show up in the right frame of mind. And my content, I, I continue to bring in people and learn every year and try and make sure I'm giving them the right content. Because you can get significantly better when you have zero distractions in your life at a time period when everything's done for you and all you have to do is focus. Explain, if you can, what you try to do with your players. Let's take your three quarterbacks this year. Josh Allen, Kyle Allen, Sam Darnold. Give me an average day uh, when you're together in Southern California? Yeah, well, the, the overarching theme is we want to expedite the process of them becoming a pro. Now, I never even started a game, which actually for me to play as long as I played and never get a start, it's actually kind of like weirdly impressive. But you know what? I, I, <laughs> should, I should tell people that one of the most interesting things about your career, the little factoid about your career that I think people would get a kick out of is that in 2010, you and your big brother Carson became the first uh, brother act to ever play for the same team in the same football game in NFL history. And you still, the NFL has played 98 seasons. Jordan and Carson Palmer are the only quarterbacks who played together in the same game uh, ever in NFL history. Yeah, um, it was it was fun, man. It was a great, great. We did that for three years. It was a blast. Um, so, so just on the draft, what I'm trying to do with these guys, I want to expedite the process of you becoming a pro, and uh, and and really, that's that's by helping these guys become a triple threat. So, if you look at the guys that these kids want to be, Breeze, my brother, Brady, Aaron, all of these guys, Peyton, whatever, go down the list. Uh, those guys are triple threats. So, I look at it in terms of mentally, physically, and emotionally. On the mental side. They know how to learn. That may sound dumb, but you, to learn a playbook, you have to you have to have a process. And I know you did a piece with Carson, and you spent a day with him probably two years ago. He was preparing for the Cleveland Browns, and you got to see firsthand, Peter, tear at a playbook and memorize it. You have to have a process. So pros, they know mentally how to process information. They know how to process it quicker. They know how to disseminate information, and uh, and they have a process in place for that. Physically. That gets into mechanics and their body. But physically, they know how to fix themselves. When a pro makes a bad throw, they don't look around and go, Coach, what was that? A pro knows exactly what it was, and they fix it on the next throw. They get what I call self-correction. 
The other thing physically is they know how to take care of their body. Carson spent 10, 10 hours a week on body care, and that wasn't because, you know, he was guessing and he wasn't sure. Because trial and error, a pro, they know exactly what they need to be doing to be at peak condition on Sundays and in the off seasons and how many day, how many months to take off. All you got to do is watch Tom versus time or read his book. The last piece is the emotional side that these young quarterbacks I work with, the older players that they want to become the Mannings, Aaron Carson, all the Phillip rivers. Those guys are phenomenal husbands, phenomenal dads. They treat people the right way in the community. They're great teammates. They're philanthropic. So that's a, that's a muscle you got to develop. And so what I'm trying to do at a young age when they're transitioning from college to the draft and they're all in and they hang on every word is make sure that they're strengthening all three of those areas. So the faster you can become a triple threat, the easier the game's going to come. And, and there's a, a thing I always talk about with these guys, and, and Peter, I actually think it's true in real life too. Quarterbacks are going to get – they're inevitably going to face two things. They're going to face the inevitability of success and adversity. And, and there's, there's uh, levels to that, right? Success could be good throws in a row in practice, or it could be winning a Super Bowl. And adversity could be having three bad throws in practice, or it could be tearing your knee in practice when you're on pace to be rookie of the year and potentially win a Super Bowl, Deshaun Watson. How you handle those two things is essentially how good you're going to be. Because there's players who are phenomenal at handling success and can't, they just, they're rattled with adversity. And there's guys who can handle adversity really well, but they just let success get to them. They don't know how to handle that. You've got to be able to handle both. It's the MMQB Podcast. Buffalo Wild Wings loves a Cinderella story. It's the tale of the underdog, the unexpected. And by their unexpected nature, you just can't predict when one is going to happen. It makes them great, but it also makes them frustrating. Because at any moment, you could miss that Cinderella sighting. Unless you're spending March at B-Dubs, the official hangout for NCAA March Madness. Here, you'll catch every second of every game and you'll be able to look back and tell the story of that team that you watch climb their way from a low seed to the championship, but only if you go to Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings. Beer. Sports. And now, back to my conversation with Jordan Palmer. You worked extensively with Deshaun Watson. How did he handle what happened to him? And if, if without bragging, what role did you play in that? Yeah, I mean, with, with Deshaun, what's cool about this process, these guys end up becoming like little brothers. Right? I don't handle their marketing. I don't care what agent they sign with. I'm not involved in the business. I'm, and I also don't, they don't pay me directly either. The agent covers this, you know, the, the, the QB Summit, they're coaching through it. So it's a, a way that I can work with the, the school on it. So it's pretty cool. I'm actually the only guy who has no, doesn't have their hand out. So I can come from a really honest place. And with Deshaun going through that process, uh, you know, I talked to him afterwards, I talked to him the next morning. He was already talking about next year. He's talking about the surgery date, moving on, roughly when he'll be able to start throwing again. You know, he's devastated, obviously. And I was devastated for him because I know that this kid, when he, you know, he wants to be the greatest quarterback that ever lived. He works that way. He plays that way. And so to do that, you got to do historic things and legendary things. And that's what this kid's about. And what he wanted to do was win a Super Bowl his rookie year. 
That's what he wanted to do. And not, wouldn't it be cool? And that's my combine answer. But no. That was why all along he wanted to go to Houston. He thought that was the best spot for him. Best spot to do that. The team that was most ready. So as soon as he hurt his knee, he got past the devastation part of it. He's already talking about next year. He's already talking about the plan. This gives me more time in the offseason to be able to focus on this, be able to sit. He's already talking about that, as devastated as he was. But that's the way that kid thinks. You know, he, he's not like the other ones. Uh, Dave O'Sweeney was right when he called him Michael Jordan. But uh, what what role do you think you might have had in molding the mental side of him? Or was it already there? I mean, I like to think, you know, Deshaun's mental maker, he was already there. I mean, this kid, you talk about success and the, the adversity that he went through at a young age. Right. I can't create a I can't create a drill around that. I can't manufacture that. The way that he handled adversity his first twenty years of life, he's essentially in terms of the adversity category, he's a mile he's got a mile head start on everybody else. So then when success happens, I, I like to think I was helpful in helping him manage success. Because every year, the last couple of years I've had a, a player who going into his last year of college was the face of college football. Every starting quarterback in college is the face of their program. Deshaun was the face of college football. Last year, Sam was the face of college football. This upcoming year, Jared Stidham is going to be one of the faces of college football. Say that That's again. Who, who is that again? Jared Stidham from Auburn. Okay. Another kid I've worked with for a long time. You know, he's going to be, a, you know, a lot, for a lot of people, the face of college football this year. Handling that is an amazing rep at controlling expectations removing parts of those expectations that aren't grounded in reality. Like the media thinks I should be doing this. That's not grounded in reality. So helping guys work through that as a rep is really helpful when they get drafted high and the expectations are through the roof. And Deshaun is definitely going to lean on that this year because everybody under the sun, including the NFL itself is going to, be a highly anticipating the return of Don Sean Watson, and they are going to expect him to be the best quarterback in the league. And he will be well-positioned to handle that. I'm going to ask you one more question about uh, a former client and perhaps you know even a current client uh, before I get to this year's crop. But you've worked with Christian Hackenberg. Christian Hackenberg has just had two of the, I'm probably overstating this, but two disastrous years with the New York Jets. He got drafted 51 overall in 2016. He has never seen the field in two years and almost certainly will not be on their roster this year and will have to find a new home. So what's your theory on what happened to Christian Hackenberg? And does he have a chance in the world of ever being an NFL quarterback? Yeah, you know, it's hard to unwind, you know, why things happened when and where, because there's so many factors that go into stuff happening or not happening. I mean, I can remember during Rams training camp, they're they're practicing in UC Irvine two years ago, I think. And, uh, you know, I'm hanging out with Jared Goff and Case Keenum. And Case is a starter going into it, and I'm watching practice, and I kind of thought – what was ended up happening was going to happen. You know, that was just a tough situation for Case. He's a bridge guy. They're waiting on Jared. Jared's not really ready yet. They don't really have a dominant receiver. I'm just looking at Case Keenum in this weird spot. But I've known Case Keenum a long time. I'm not going to sit here and say I knew that last season was going to happen. But I did believe that when Case was in the right spot at the right time, he probably was going to play really, really well. 
I didn't know if he'd ever get the shot, but if the stars did align, he was going to play really, really well. For certain players, I think it takes that. It's a right place, right time league. You know, I think with Tom Brady, speaking of the right place, right time, you know, I, obviously this is just, you know, throwing darts here, but Tom Brady's, you know, arguably the best quarterback of all time. But if he doesn't go to New England, there's a lot of people who go, yeah, I don't know if he wins Super Bowls. He may bounce around. I don't think he's going to be the greatest ever in any system. It's a right place, right time league. And, you know, I think Christian has been in a tough spot um, based off how, how ready he's been to play and the situation that's been there for him. It hasn't been in the cards for him, but I do think he can make all the throws. I do think he can handle it mentally. He's a really hard worker. He knows ball. I think he needs to be in the right spot at the right time. And that may sound like, oh, he's waiting for uh, – Jordan thinks he's waiting for a dream scenario. But, no, I think that guys, when they get in the right spot at the right time, if the opportunity presents itself, there are certain guys who are going to take that and run with it. Christian is that guy. It just hasn't been there for him uh, at this point with the Jets and, and the situations that they've been in. I, I have a I have a feeling about him, especially after talking to Josh McCown a little bit uh, in 2017, and that is that it it just everything just sort of piled on to to uh, you know one little failure piled on to other little failures, uh, and and by little failures I just mean that you go into practice and you throw a couple of incompletions. And, you know, and, and then obviously, you know, you don't get a chance in a game. Uh, you're getting killed in the press for being a bust and all that. And I just think, in my opinion, he's got to go somewhere else, first of all. And I think he ought to go to a place. I, honestly, I think a fantastic place for him to go would be Cincinnati. Not, not necessarily because the coaching is is better there or anything like that, but a place like Cincinnati where you can be a third string quarterback for a year or two and just work on your craft and you're invisible and you just work on football instead of dealing with the, Hey, this guy's a bust. I totally agree. Yeah. I think Katie and Troy ought to make a call. <laughs> <I> think, uh, <laughs> Katie Brown, Troy yeah, Blackburn, so- Katie Blackburn. Yeah. 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 Just, just go somewhere where you can focus on you and you don't have, um, you know, this ancillary stuff that just gets in the way. Um, yeah, I think, I think guys need that, you know, case needed, needed that opportunity. And, and you know what, just, it could flip too. I mean, case going to Denver, this may not be the perfect situation for him. And, you know, he may struggle. I don't know, but when guys get to the right place at the right time, that's really what the league comes down to uh, at every position. And, and, and it may sound like a cop out to some NFL fans that listen to this, but, Write down your top 10 favorite players. I guarantee two or three of those guys, they got their shot based off right time, right place, all positions. Talking to Jordan Palmer, uh, quarterback uh, tutor to college football players and to high school football players, uh, and he has two top five picks who he's been working with, Sam Darnold and uh, Josh Allen. Um, one other thing about the present, then we're going to get to your guys. Um what would you say, what do you think you would have said a few months ago if I said, hey, going into 2018, the two highest paid players in NFL history will be Kirk Cousins and Jimmy Garoppolo? Well, I would have said that based off the CBA, you know, how that was set up and then how it backfired a little bit, how the quarterbacks are getting all the money, that it's going to be right place, right time for those guys. 
I mean, look at it. I mean, Jimmy going in there and getting an opportunity, them holding on him for a couple weeks, letting him go in, what momentum can do to a bad team is unbelievable. Confidence that it brings there. And Jimmy played on the line. I mean, Jimmy's played in New England. He's understand pressure. He's been around um, Brady. Brady every Brady treats every year like it's a contract year, and, and Jimmy went into that thinking that. And with Cousins, you want to talk about right place, right time, I don't know that any other team would have franchised him twice. They would have probably locked him up earlier and avoided what you just said. But he said the Redskins at that current junction um, plays the way that he does. And, yeah, I mean, he's just piling up money and, and earning it. Is Minnesota and, a good you know, spot for him? Oh, I think it's great. I'm one of the biggest Mike Zimmer fans there is out there. I played with him in Cincinnati when he was defensive coordinator. We were turkey hunting buddies. Um, we've, I've been, Carson and I have been saying this since Zimmer first got hired in Cincinnati. Right when we met him, we hung out with him. We're like, that guy's going to be a great head coach. Hmm. And I remember the conversation. Paul Gunther just got hired as defensive coordinator, uh, or, or just got hired as a defensive assistant, was groomed under him. Now he's a defensive coordinator. Going through that, man, he's going to be a great head coach. And uh, that situation, they're always going to play great D. Um, they've got some weapons. And, uh, you know, Kirk hasn't been in a position. You know, he's all in on ball. He's a 12-month guy. He's all in. But now that he has a chance to sniff, whoa, 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 this team went deep last year, I think we're going to see the best version of Kirk Cousins this year. So let's get to Sam Darnold and Josh Allen. Um, we'll start with Allen first. I'm curious you know, Josh Allen completed 56% of his passes at, uh, at Wyoming in his career. Uh, in uh, 1987, that might have been pretty good. In 2017, that stinks. So what did you do with him, and what gives you any reason to think that he's going to be a more accurate pro than he was collegian? That's a great question, and and I'll start by saying this. I'm a guy that believes that the most important thing you got to do in football as a quarterback is you got to be accurate and, and you got to be a guy who can complete balls. And the other thing is, is I actually don't really care how, if you have a giant arm because most of the balls that are thrown in the league are, I call them layers. You're, you know, you're layering it in there. You don't throw the ball as hard as you can every play. With that being said, you know, when I dug deeper on Josh, well, I've, you know, I've seen every play a bunch of times, and I've spent a ton of time with them, and I really know the story, like way more than anybody, you know, any front office guy does, just because of the exposure that I've had to it. Um, I look at it two ways. When you look at a 56 completion percentage, um, there's what he's doing with the ball, and then there's what's on the receiving end. And what's happening on the receiving end in Wyoming, he wouldn't say any of this stuff. I can just kind of call a spade a spade and, front office guys who are, who are watching this tape, they're going to see it too, is there's a lot of discrepancies around depth and the angle, and um, some of those guys couldn't catch it. He threw his little ball hard, you know. Um, and they had to manufacture completions, and they weren't the best team on the field every week. They have a great coaching staff. Uh, they got a couple really good players. Um, but, you know, Josh is, is, is running around trying to make plays. And so when you don't have timing and, and, and separation – I'm not saying everybody has to be open every play, but we don't have timing and separation causes you to wait to see it open and then throw it late. And when you time that, when you couple those two things together and he has a bazooka attached to his shoulder, they're not in an offense where they're trying to get as many completions as they can and kick bubble screens the whole time. 
one of the things that manipulates what you just said about 1983 versus now is the amount of essentially handoffs that are completed in college football. The swings, the bubbles, the nows, the quick slant. So they didn't have a lot of those. So that right there, that's going to trim down some completions right there. And then on Josh's end, the part that he has to own is his inaccuracy. A lot of it was tied to a couple mechanical things. The root of it, though, mechanics-wise, was his base. So when you watch him on tape, next time you guys, anybody's listening to this, they're watching him on highlights, which you'll see in his game tape is he'll get up on his toes and bounce and immediately take a big front stride with his left foot. I call it an overstride. When you overstride, it puts you in a position where you can do a couple of things wrong now. You can lean a little too much. You cannot bring your hip through. So you're going to bend forward. And when you do any of those two things, either of those two things, your elbow is going to drop and your release point is going to lower. And it's going to be hard to put touch on it. Now, I know that's like a deep dive on mechanics and all that stuff. A couple of people are probably nerding out, loving it. A couple of people are like, what is this guy talking about? But in essentially to boil it down, there was two things happening. On the receiving end, there's a lack of continuity, a lack of timing, and a lack of separation. On Josh's end, he was putting himself in a position mechanically where he was overstriding, and it was causing him to miss. We've addressed the overstride. You saw it a little bit in Mobile. You saw it a lot more in Indianapolis. And we're going to see it a ton on Friday in Wyoming. I, I think he'll only miss two or three throws on Friday out of 70. And he's going to be throwing to guys at the next level that are, you know, that, where it's going to be harped on timing and accuracy and separation. So, I'm big on I want to see a guy who can complete balls, and I don't care about arm talent. But this dude is probably as talented as an arm as I've ever seen. And um, and I and I think really I've seen him grow a lot in three months. And over the next couple of years, you're going to see a guy who's going to be deadly accurate. And I think he's going to be a superstar. He seems like one of the happiest, most mentally prepared people I've ever seen for the NFL. And I wonder, he's got a very interesting background. He's a farm kid, you know, from, from, uh, from Northern California. And uh, he, you know, he had to work a lot as, when he was a kid. And it's almost like, gee whiz, I get to play football for a living? Yeah, you got to remember, this kid was in junior college three years ago. And when he got passed on every, by every school on a signing day, he told his mom, don't worry, you know, I'm going to be a first-round pick still. We'll figure it out. Wow. And I talked about this, you know, on a couple of deals in Indianapolis where I pointed out an interesting underlying fact when you grow up on a farm, especially when you're the oldest brother. When things on the farm break, your dad makes you fix it. Hey, we got a water line burst. Hey, the tractor's down. So he's just a guy who's grown up having to fix it. I think quarterbacks, you can boil it down to a lot of different things, but I think one of the things you can boil quarterback down to is problem solver. Some of that is how are we going to attack this defense? How are we going to block this? How are we going to cover up the fact that my right tackle is terrible? How are we going to get open? How are we going to handle the fact that my starting receiver hates my running back? How are we going to handle the media right now? How are we going to handle this injury that we're trying to hide? All of that. You're a problem solver. And Josh has been a problem solver his whole life. And at the same time, he's a farm boy who, who you know, he grew up in Firebaugh, California, 2,500-acre cantaloupe farm. And, uh, but he doesn't listen to country music. He doesn't wear cowboy boots. He's true to who he is. And, uh, and this is a, you know, blue collar. His dad is his idol, uh, third generation farming family. This is blue collar. And, uh, and he's a tough dude. I wouldn't mess with Josh, but to your point, he's just so and Deshaun did it last year too. It's common. Everybody says he outsmiled everybody in, in Indy. Josh did the same thing this year. Cause he's just having the time of his life. Are you kidding me? He's in junior college three years ago. He's got a chance yeah. to be the first pick in the draft. 
Yeah. This is unbelievable. He's yeah. so grateful and blessed and humbled by this. And yet he's a throat slasher and he's trying to go in the league and he's trying to dominate. Tell me, uh, Sam Darnold, I, and look, I'll, I'll tell you this, Jordan, I don't watch a lot of college football at all. But last fall, uh, whatever night it was, it was a, some Saturday night, and USC and UCLA are on TV, and I watched the game, and I watched every snap of that game because I just wanted to see Rosen and, and Darnold. I watched every snap of that game, and I said, Rosen, and again, look, it's ridiculous to say after four quarters how you can boil down their entire developmental career. But I just watched that game, and I said, boy, I, I think Rosen's better than Darnold. At least he was that that day. But tell me about the development of Darnold, what you've worked on with him, and you think he's ready to be the first pick in the draft because I think there's a very good chance he, he could be. Yeah, I think Sam's uh, absolutely ready. Um you know, I met Sam, he was young, he was like 15, and I was literally just throwing with uh, a quarterback coach that I grew up training with, Bob Bazenko, you know, and I was playing at the time, so I'd go and throw on Sundays and get a little tune-up, I was playing for the Bears at the time, and I, I'm not saying I saw talent at that age or anything like that, because he literally just looked like the other kids, but I was laughing with Coach Bazenko, because he's been around me and Carson our whole lives, and I was like, that kid over there looks exactly like Carson when he was that age. Red hair, freckled, wearing some scrubby basketball shorts, white socks, crinkled down, you know, and just walk like him, talk like him, act like him. Two years later, he's in Elite 11. He's 17 now. I'm like, oh, my gosh, you walk, talk, and act. It look exactly like my brother. Now, all of a sudden, he's like a top recruit, though. Turns out, uh, he goes to Elite 11. He's the only kid. There's 11 quarterbacks in the country, the top 11. He's the only kid who's uncommitted. And I say, why aren't you committed? He goes, well, I just wanted to come here and see where I want to go to school. I want to look at these other guys. And at the time, there was a kid named Ricky Town. Ricky Town was the top recruit out of California. He was committed to USC. Everybody was talking about he was the next liner, next Sanchez, whatever. And Sam watched Ricky throw for one day, and he came up to me and said, after this whole thing's over, I'm going to, I'm committed, I'm going to commit to USC. Because he just wanted to see, and he said, uh, that kid's going to transfer. And he did. Wow. Carson did Carson did the same thing. When Carson was coming out of high school, he was, I think, the second rated player in the state behind Jason Thomas from Compton Dominguez. Carson played against Jason, saw Jason work, and said, I'm going to SC too. Same class. Jason changed positions and then ended up transferring. So oh, ironically, amazing. Amazing. the same thing keeps happening. Now Sam's leaving USC with a chance to be the number one pick in the draft, just like Carson. And what's crazy about it is they're both internal processors. They're both grounded in incredible humility to the point where you may question how confident they are. They're that humble. They don't like attention. They don't do social media. They don't want a bunch of media. They don't love signing autographs. They just want to win and have a great time with their teammates. And they actually love the work part of it. They love the work part of it. And they're very close. You know, Sam's like a little brother to me. So Carson doesn't get involved with any of the coaching stuff that I do, but he has gotten involved with Sam. And uh, it's crazy how similar they are. Peter, I know you know Carson really well. I know you're a big fan of his. But this is like the same kid. The way I would compare them, though, is he's got about 10% less of Carson's arm talent at that age and about 25% more athleticism than Carson at that age. Yeah. So I'm not going to sit here and compare the two of them in terms of who's going to project to be better. But 
it's pretty crazy. Sam, as well as you know, Carson, very, very similar. The one part that he has that I, I haven't really seen, Deshaun, you know, and, and you know, I, I haven't known Josh long enough to know if he has this. I think he does. But Sam genuinely doesn't feel pressure. That Penn State game, everyone wants to rave about the throws, but how about the fact that this kid's a freshman and, like, he just kind of thought it was a rad game and was going to be fun to play. He just didn't really get what everybody was talking about. He was just pretty locked in and just wanted to have fun and go beat Penn State. I will, and that's just the way that he plays. I will always think, uh, and, and, I, and I really want to get your thoughts on this, 2003, Carson Palmer is the first pick in the NFL draft. The Bengals pick him. And he goes there and they decide that barring something unforeseen he's going to sit his entire rookie year watch learn and that's exactly what happens he sits his entire rookie year and then he goes on to have a heck of an NFL career and i've always thought that even if you play at a high level of college football i think it's really really valuable to sit for a while and i understand why people want to play early and why teams want them to play early but if Carson looked back, if Carson was was in your head right now, what would he say now that his career is over about the benefits of sitting? And do you think more players should sit at the quarterback position coming out of college? Yeah, we actually talk about this, and um, we've had multiple conversations about this. I definitely think it's it's advantageous for everybody involved to sit. Now, there's often political reasons why guys play early. Coach on a hot seat, GM, and, you know, those types of things can factor into players playing early. Uh, but when you remove all of that, I mean, you look at it and you go, well, well, it would have been a travesty for Deshaun Watson to not get a chance to play last year. You know, the momentum he started with and the way that he's rallied that city together and that team, and, you know, they're one of the hottest teams in the league this year going into it. But at the same time, I, I – you know, I, I don't feel bad for Patrick Mahomes getting to sit and play behind Alex Smith, one of the great pros in the league. And now just that transition of him being able to take it over, they go get Chad Henney, one of the best backups. And I'm very close with Chad, very close with Blake Bortles. I know a lot about how much Chad's helped Blake. You know, so I look at Deshaun, I go, that's a great scenario. I look at Patrick Mahomes, well, that's a great scenario. So is it true for everybody? Absolutely not. But here's the problem with what's happening between college and the NFL. Uh, picture a graph. There's two lines traveling from the bottom left corner, and they're going up and up to the right. One, one line is traveling diagonally from bottom left corner to the top right. And that line is what NFL teams and offenses are expecting the quarterbacks to know in the NFL. The other line is actually dipping down. It's going away from that line. And that's what college quarterbacks, and I'm not saying in general, I'm talking about the best college quarterbacks at the best programs. That's what they're learning right now. So think about it. Go back to 2003. Carson's playing for Norm Chow. When they used to call plays, Norm Chow would signal it in to Carson in the huddle. He would call the play. He would break the huddle. He'd send somebody in motion. He'd do a shift. He'd point the mic, and he'd run the play. Then somewhere between then and now, a few years later, they said, well, let's just have everybody line up signal the quarterback and then he can tell everybody what to do and then they started holding up cards with pictures on them right they had all the skill positions look at the card nowadays all 11 players look to the sideline and then the quarterback who stays in shotgun claps and receives the football so when you look at that digression in terms of the amount of information that these quarterbacks have to process and disseminate 
the gap is getting wider and wider. I don't care how intelligent the quarterback is in college. And so a guy like Deshaun Watson, they can get him on the board during the draft process, and they can say, well, you know, you know, he doesn't really, he hadn't done this, he hadn't done that. And if you by- bypass the fact that Deshaun was on honor roll since seventh grade and was on, um, you know, was uh, graduated top of his class, all that stuff, and graduated in three years, and you just look at it and you say, well, he doesn't know a lot of football. You're missing out on the side that looks that you got to evaluate. How much football has he been exposed to? And I think college quarterbacks are, and I get in trouble for this, but I think they're getting asked to do less and less every single year. And some of these college plays are red, right, F, mo, boomer. That's the whole play. But in the NFL, you can have eight set to gun spread, right, eight shot tool, China drive, F3, to alert Mustang Dragon on a white one. And I tell guys, when you're learning NFL playbooks, you, you study it like you'd study the Bible or a cookbook. You know, when you're in Bible study, we don't say, turn it to page one, start reading. Now you go to John chapter 6, verse 4 through 8. When you read a cookbook, you don't read the beginning of it. You turn to the recipe for ribs. You read that. Playbooks, you have to have a process for this because in college, they're asked to learn so little. It's about getting every, the young receivers ready to go, making it simple for everyone else. Go, 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 go. More plays off faster. I get it, and it's working. The best offenses in college football are that is that. But in the NFL, they're not, you know, there's teams that are adjusting it, but the whole league's not going to shift here and all of a sudden go, all right, let's cut out half the verbiage in these plays. No. So Patrick is, yeah, it's been Mahomes, it's been really beneficial for him to sit for a year. And Deshaun, you know, his, his study habits, his study skills, his ability to process information quickly, and then the staff that they have in Houston – to get him up to speed, they're able to bridge that gap. And, again, this is not an indictment on Clemson's offense. They won the national championship that year. That was the best program. So there's that gap that's happening every year, which is why I can be incredibly valuable for these guys during the three-month period because I install an entire offense. I do it as a code word system. Then I reinstall the whole entire offense again as a digit system to develop a dual processing system so these kids can actually learn because both what, ways to so, so that you so that so that what you're explaining now is that uh, some number of NFL teams do it both ways. I mean some yeah. some numbers uh, some people are, are are numbers offenses and some are you know do it with with code words. And so yes. what you're saying is that you have spent time with Josh Allen and Sam Darnold on both and with Kyle Allen uh, on, on both this spring. Yeah, and it's actually come to fruition here. I got a call from, from Josh. You know, they'll have – I'm going to leave it out, but they, they'll meet with teams privately and they're, they're right. having private workouts and all that stuff. And the team, every year, you know, they'll say, hey, we're going to send you a playbook, you know, just a short little playbook two or three days before you can study it. And both my guys so far, you know, or between the two of them, have had a code word system and a digit system and there you go it's coming into fruition where they go well that was easy to learn and people talk about this with a kid you know if you teach your kid i have a two-year-old son if you teach your kid a second language before they turn six or seven or whatever it is they're gonna know they develop it. a dual processing system yeah so their ability to learn multiple language it, that, it increases yeah so, my my it, it's it's funny my grandson uh who's 15 months old uh, goes to a nanny every day for about eight hours, and the nanny does not speak English. And uh, my daughter and her wife, they're both thrilled with that because they they think that, okay, so if Freddie goes to this woman for 
say three years, when he's four years old, he's going to know Rojo is red and you could say Rojo and it's going to mean exactly the same thing as when I was a kid, if somebody said red, you know, and it's, yeah. I think it's great for him. Um, hey, I just want to ask you one last thing. I'm with Jordan Palmer. So Jordan, if you had to make a wild guess, you had to go take $5 in Las Vegas right now. And you had to say, okay, uh, Sam Darnold is going to X and Josh Allen is going to Y. Who do you think picks him? I can't answer that, but I think they're going to be one and two overall. Wow. Well, so in other words, you think you think one is going to the Browns and one's going to either the Giants Someone or the Bills. Else. That's what it sounds like. Someone else, yeah. I, yeah. I, that's what I think. I, I think when they go through – and again, this is not because I talked to somebody and got inside information. I have no idea what's going on. Right. right? And I stay out of all that stuff, right? I'm not, I'm not their representative. I'm not right. their agent. I have no idea. I stay in my lane. I'm trying to help them get better. Um, I just think when they go through the entire process, they go through their pro days because they're going to light it up on their pro days. Uh, they're going to interview great. You're going to fall in love with these guys. You, it sounds like you already fell in love with Josh Allen, spending time with them, positive, all that stuff. Um, but they're also going to get the foundation of who these kids are as men. You know, one of the things I do is I have, uh, I have these guys meet with a current GM from a uh, Major League Baseball team, and they spend a lot of time with this guy. And he had a really good point. He said, you know, because of guaranteed contracts, I don't really care how good – and because of the farm system. He says, I don't really care how – I don't care about, you know, looking at the player how he is today. I have to train my eye to envision how he's going to be in five years. And when you're taking a quarterback one or two overall, you know, you're not doing it to hope that maybe he gets to a second contract. You're doing it because you guys are both going to work for that company for the next 15, right? Yeah. So they have to look at it the same way. And I think when these teams, whoever's in the top two, I think when they look at these players through that lens of how is this guy going to look in two, three, four years, five years, they're going to see a clear-cut, absolute franchise guy who's going to get better every single year. He's going to be a triple threat. He's going to know how to fix himself physically, know how to put the right things in his body, take care of himself, and stay healthy. He's going to know how to learn. He's going to know how to treat people. And then emotionally, he's going to be this guy over the next 15 years. He's going to have a family. He's going to get married. He's going to be a great person. He's going to be start a foundation. He's going to lead our locker room. And I think they're going to see that. And it's going to be hard for anybody else to go above them. I don't know who's going where. I stay out all that stuff. I just think whoever's in the top two is going to that in both these kids and if they don't see it they shouldn't take them Jordan Palmer quarterback mentor to the stars <laughs> I really appreciate you joining me and uh, it's a very very fascinating business I'm going to tell people to listen to this just because I learned so much in the last 40 minutes uh, that I had no idea about so I appreciate the chance to be educated Peter, I uh, I just want to say thank you too. It's an honor to be on this. I mean, in my opinion, you're the you're the absolute gold standard, best in the business. And uh, I feel like so many players have a negative connotation around the media. I got to do this interview. I have this 15 minute phoner. I've got to do whatever it is. And you're just not that. You're just guys that everybody carves out time for you, and it's just an amazing respect. And and I think it, it shows with your viewership and your readership and all that stuff too. But uh, it's an honor to be on with you. Hey, Jordan, that's really, really nice of you to say. Uh, good good luck with your guys, and uh, we will catch up again soon. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks to my guests, Chicago Bears coach Matt Nagy 
and quarterback tutor to the stars, Jordan Palmer. If you enjoyed these conversations, be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes in the MMQB series, such as my conversations with Luke Keekley, Larry Fitzgerald, and Tom Brady. You can find these on the MMQB.com, on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts. You can also hear the MMQB podcast with Peter King on Sirius XM Radio every Saturday morning at 7 Eastern on Mad Dog Sports Radio, Sirius XM Channel 82. Thanks to the fine folks at Cadence 13 for their production work. And thanks, of course, to my sponsors, Mattress Firm, Quicken Loans, Hymns, and Buffalo Wild Wings. Please support them the way they support this podcast. And I'll see you from the NFL owners' meetings in Orlando next week. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave.